Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for the Tech Guy is provided by Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is my Tech Guy podcast. This show originally aired on the Premier Radio Networks on Saturday, March 5th, 2011. This is episode 749. Enjoy. Good day to you. How are you today? Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And we were, it's time to talk about computers and the internet and cell phones and camcorders and all that interesting stuff. 8888-ASK-LEO, that's the phone number if you want to call and ask a question or make a comment or a suggestion. I know I said that very fast. 888-827-5536. It's toll free from... Anywhere in the U.S. of A, if you're outside the U.S., you can use Skype and get a hold of me. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the, that's the thing to put on the post-it note and stick by the fridge. iPad, to the, iPad 2 came out. iPad 2 came out. Uh, yep. Steve Jobs did the announcement in vintage Steve Jobs style. Even uh, taking some time to take some pot shots at the, comp- the competition, that Android and the Zoom tablet from Motorola and uh, the Samsung Galaxy tab just to take a little mm, a little zing at them. I thought that was uh, interesting <laughs> for a number of reasons. First of all, Steve's obviously in fine fettle, which is great. We love seeing that because uh, Steve Jobs is one of the, the absolute pioneers in this industry and uh, we want him to be healthy. But uh, I thought it was also interesting because I don't remember. I mean, Steve's co- competitive. There's no question about that. I don't remember him at a, at these kinds of events in the past singling out competitors because you know usually you don't want to do that because, uh, well, it just kind of promotes them. It makes people think about them. You don't even want to make people think about them. But I think Steve was crowing a little bit because he was he basically was saying, "We don't have to worry about the competition. We're good enough, and with iPad two, we're increasing our lead." Nobody's going to beat us this year. If you're a, if you're a student of Greek tragedy, <laughs> I think you might recognize something called hubris here, which usually gets punished by the gods. You know, you start saying things like that, pretty soon you're kind of asking for, you're, aren't you? Kind of asking for trouble. Well, I don't want to be superstitious about it. Uh, clearly. Uh, he believes that he is top dog, and you know what? The evidence is so. 15 million iPad 1s sold. Uh, and now you're going to be able to uh, to pick up a um, an iPad 2 March 11th. March 11th. 5 p.m. the Apple Store is open. As far as I can tell, maybe uh, the chat room knows better, but uh, last time I checked, which was yesterday, you wouldn't be able, you couldn't pre-order these or even reserve them. Maybe you can. Maybe you'll be able to reserve them. Apple's done that in the past. It looks like Apple really wants lines at the store. They realized that not having lines at Verizon was taken by some to mean that nobody was interested in the Verizon iPhone, even though they did sell a million in that first weekend. So Apple is not pre-selling 
the iPad 2 as in the past. In the past, you'd be able to order it, and it would arrive on March 11th via FedEx. Not this time. This time, you either have to go to a store and get in line, or you can order it, but you won't get it until they ship it. So you can order it on Friday at 5 p.m. That means you won't get it till Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday of, uh, of next week. Prices. So let's talk about what you get with the uh, iPad 2. In my opinion, Apple did just enough to make you want one. Not quite enough to make you go, wow, <laughs> or make at least make me go, wow, but just enough to make you want one. Just enough to make this original iPad that I'm holding in my hands. You can't see it because it's radio, but imagine, if you will, I'm holding it in my hands. This original iPad just look a little thick, clunky, and obsolete and old. But really, what what is new? Well, the, the, the thing that's going to make the biggest difference visually is that it is thinner. It's a third thinner. It's actually thinner now than the iPhone 4. So that's thin. A little bit lighter, although not I don't think significantly lighter. And people who complain that the iPad is not as easy to read as, say, the Kindle because they have to hold it in their hand will still think it's too too heavy, I think. So visually, that's that's the thing you'll notice. From the terms of functionality, the biggest thing you'll notice is it's got a camera. Two of them, a front-facing camera, so you could do FaceTime calls. You thought it was too heavy then, but you know, reading, what, imagine holding your, your iPad out, arm's length, making a FaceTime call. We'll all be buying stands, I guess. And then uh, a camera on the back, which uh, uh, they're not revealing the quality, how high resolution it is. They have not said, no one seems to know. It will shoot, this is all they said, it will shoot 720p video at 30 frames a second. But whether it's native 720p or not, we don't know. It could be as bad as a flip cam in there. We don't know. And if anybody works at Apple and wants to break their confidentiality, tell me, I'd sure like to hear. We might just have to wait till till next Friday. I guess we will. Um... Internally, there are actually significant differences. They have changed the processor. Apple created a processor called the A4 for the last iPad, a gigahertz processor that was, for its time, super fast. Uh, Their next processor will be, they call it an A5. Now, they didn't give any specs, but I think it's pretty safe to say the A5 is based on the ARM design that everybody in the new, the, the new, the ARM Cortex that the people are using in their new phones. Dual core, dual gigahertz chips, almost twice as fast. That's good. It also, according to Apple, nine times better graphics. So you so that and that's good too. So this will be a much faster little computer you know, under the hood. So thinner cameras, faster bit lighter just enough right just enough to make you want it <laughs> to make the old one feel old he's learned steve's learned a lot from detroit I, they practically put fins on the thing that's more than just cosmetic though i mean faster is, is important and i think the cameras will make this a very interesting device because there's so much good software for the iphone's camera that will all, of course, migrate to the iPad 2. And this will be a pretty impressive, pretty impressive thing. 
for for photographers, I think. And the video too. They updated the iMovie and and uh, GarageBand to be designed for the iPad too, and that's pretty cool. GarageBand for the iPad too looks like a great musical instrument. So yeah, compelling, compelling. I think. By the way, you might get a little bit of an insight from that into what the iPhone 5, the next iPhone, which should come out in June, will be. I think pretty pretty good guess that if they're going to make that A5 processor in the iPad, they'll put that in the iPhone. Those of you who've been kind of holding off buying an iPhone 5, especially you Verizon customers, I'm sorry, buying an iPhone 4 because you wanted to see the iPhone 5, especially Verizon customers, you may want to hold off a little longer. It might be worth waiting until June now that we know it'll at least be twice as fast. The disappointments, well, I think the thing everybody wanted, but if you listened last week, you knew that I didn't think it was likely, and I was right, is a higher resolution screen. Too expensive, too much battery life. The cost just would be too high. Apple wants to keep the price the same. No price drop. I I didn't expect that either, but some people were hoping for a price drop or a higher resolution screen. No other form factors, no 7-inch. No, Steve Jobs has already said he doesn't believe 7-inch tablets are, are very good. You watch, though. You watch. There'll be competition for this at the price point. Here's somebody on the phone, but let me put them back on hold. We'll get to you in a second, Jan. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Uh, at the competition at the price point, but uh, I don't think anybody's going to compete with it in terms of uh, utility. Even if they do an Android uh, a tablet like the Zoom, and this is where Steve Jobs really took a bite out of Android. He said, only hundreds of apps. We have hundreds of thousands of apps. And uh, some, what did he say? 35,000 specific iPad apps. 8888-ASK-LEAH. Let's talk about iPad 2. Maybe you've decided now that you've seen it, that you're going to buy the Zoom or the BlackBerry Playbook. Let's talk about it. 8888-ASK-LEAH. Oh, I am Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Report the tech guy. Talking about iPad 2 and anything else you want to talk about at 8888-ASK-LEO. I forgot to mention the magical and revolutionary, I say that with irony, the magical and evolution, I have to explain it, revolutionary cover for the iPad. The $39, is it 39 Yeah. Or 30 Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's all profit, right? Cover for the iPad. $70 if you want leather. Brilliant because... The old covers for the iPad no longer work because the camera's blocked. So you have to buy a new case. Of course, Apple doesn't tell the case manufacturers much ahead of time. So the case manufacturers are caught off guard. They, By the way, though, Apple does say those magnets that are built in to the iPad for use with their special magical revolutionary case, you know, anybody can use them. So I imagine we'll see other cases. But I have to say it's a pretty impressive case. It doesn't protect the iPad much. Because it doesn't go over the back. It just goes over the front. Uh, if you drop the iPad, it's not going to protect it at all. It does go over the front. But the cool thing is that because of the magnets, just like the BlackBerry, the iPad knows when the case is starting to roll back and turns on. You can flip it around and use it as a stand, both uh, in, in uh, you know at a kind of a oblique angle and at a, at a much larger acute angle 
in the two different ways you'd like to use the iPad, both kind of sitting back and standing up. It's actually a nice bit of design. A little overpriced. But after all, it is profit. <laughs> you can't, you, you can't, uh, you can't knock making money. That's their job, isn't it? Uh, people are asking, did you get the iPad 2 already? No, I did not. Uh, Apple is not selling them yet, and it, uh, they're not doing pre-orders. Although, Dr. Mom in our chat room says she keeps asking the manager at the Apple store, and he keeps saying, well, keep checking back. We think we will be able to at least reserve ahead of time. We don't know whether we'll be able to pre-order ahead of time. Apple's very clear on their site. Pre-orders begin March 11th. Orders starting March 11th. So that means if you want one day of, if you want one this Friday, you'll have to go into the Apple store. I guess the only real question is, can you reserve one? But They're very clear. Orders starting March 11th. And uh, I am not on Apple's, uh, Apple hates me. Because apparently I don't tow the line sufficiently or something. I don't know. They don't tell me, but uh, they don't. Uh, I no longer get review units or inviting inv- invitations to the events or anything like that. Apple, I do not exist to Apple, which is fine with me. I really don't care. I really don't care. Uh, let's see. I mean, after all, it, it, don't you think it's a little insulting that a, a company would try to strong arm the press to get them to say nice things? And use its its leverage to get them to say nice things. Isn't that kind of revolting? It just it just smells. But Apple's always done that. You know they give uh, they give early units to the pro Apple press. People like David Pogue at the New York Times and Walt Mossberg at the Wall Street Journal always get. I'm sure they have a iPad twos. Uh, I just when when a company does that, it's at that point I don't I really don't talk to their PR reps even if they were willing to talk to me because that's just I don't like that. That's not you know I don't it's not disrespect for me or disrespect for the press. Well, of course it is, but who cares? We have an adversarial relationship and ought to. It's disrespecting their customers. It's attempting to control what information their customers get. If Apple doesn't like how you cover their products, and after all, we're covering them for you to give you information you need. They punish you. Well, what are they really saying? We don't want our customers to know anything but positive, hear anything but positive. That's kind of pathetic. Certainly disrespectful of the customer. Jan in Beverly Hills, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Jan. Hey, hi. It's Buddy Jan. Oh, good to talk to you. <laughs> um. Can I change my question? I was going to talk to you about Thunderbird. But I- yeah, yeah, you can change your question, of course. So I listen to you and uh, other things on my Air, my 11-inch Air, and my and or my iPod and some to my iPhone. What's a good portable speaker? Oh. I'm up high enough. Unless I'm wearing depends, a headset. Depends what you want to do. Now, if you want wireless, which I this is the one I use, is from uh, Jawbone. It's called their jam box. A little expensive. I think it's almost 200 bucks. But what it is, it's a Bluetooth speaker, Jogbone jam box, that you can then use as a speakerphone as well as a fairly good, not super good, but a fairly good speaker. Right. So, it dep- again, it depends what you want to do. So that's one form of functionality. Uh, it's very compact. I brought it, for instance, on the cruise, and I had it in my stateroom. And when I wanted to listen to music, I could take it around the stateroom with me. So you don't need to fill the room with music. 
and uh, and it would play via Bluetooth up to about thirty feet away. And if so, and you know, I now have it in my office for a speakerphone it's for for conference calls. So that's a nice choice. If you want really good sound, yeah. um, I use there are a couple of ways to do this: Audio Engine and Sonos, S O N O S, and Audio Engine both make better quality speakers that will connect wirelessly to a dock. So you dock your phone. Now, this is for the phone. It really wouldn't, or an iPod, it really wouldn't work with the air you mentioned. The jawbone would work with all of the above, but because it's Bluetooth. But if you have a 30-pin connector, you dock into, let's say, the Sonos dock, and then it plays back on your Sonos system. And those speakers can be, they're wireless via Wi-Fi, so they can be at a farther distance. That jawbone sounds what I need. It's just like listening to you and listening to Twit during the week. Yeah, so if you got me going on the stream on your on your computer as opposed to listening on the radio, and now you can walk around with the job the 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 jam box any you know anywhere you know it's Bluetooth. So as long as you're still within Bluetooth range of your laptop or your phone, it'll be fine. Now the Sonos works. And I, I like the Sonos systems, but we're talking a lot of money. But if you want to do a kind of a wireless in-house sound system, Sonos is a great choice. They're about four ninety nine or five ninety nine. Yeah. Uh, each and then you have to get the dock and et cetera, et cetera. No, not going to happen. I buy my second iPod too. <laughs> it really does add up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. My friend Dick Bartolo, you know, our gadget guru, did review a um, wireless, uh, or I think it was USB speaker. Because you said you want wireless, right? Yeah, wireless. When you say portable, you want wireless? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, he he reviewed uh, uh, these kind of clever speakers. They're small. Uh, that it connect via USB, but now wireless. I would say probably uh, those are your those are some three choices. The Audio Engine also does that. Audio Engine makes really, I think, very good stereo speakers, and they have an add-on that plugs into either USB or th- uh, the thirty-pin cable on your iPhone, iPod, uh, that will then broadcast wirelessly to the Audio Engine speakers. That's also a good a good solution. Great, three I'll, good ones for you. I'll get it Friday when I pick up the iPad too. <laughs> so you're going to buy? Oh, you got yeah. We have uh, the iPad. The first iPad, and my husband and I are both going to get the new one. You know, um, I should mention that AirPlay would also work if you have a stereo system hooked up to an Apple TV. You know, you could do it. Um, my husband does that when he listens to you, but uh, you yeah. know, I, I sometimes you know I move around and I don't know. Apple also makes the Airport Express that little thing you plug into the wall. You can plug speakers into that as well. Right. Okay. There's lots of ways to to do that. Uh, some Apple, some not. I love. I'd have to say the job on Jambox. Uh, I wish it were less expensive, uh, but it is really cool. Can I plug my web series? Yes. Uh, xmoney.com or afterthehutch.com? Afterthehutch.com. Bunny Jan Hutch. is a former Playboy bunny. No, afterthehutch.info. Info. Thank you, Jan. Great to talk to you. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Show brought to you by my internet service provider, DSL Extreme. 
for high-speed internet at an amazing price. Call 866-the number two get net to get DSL Extreme. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Scott Wilkinson, he's our home theater guy. I, I really appreciate Scott filling in when I was gone a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he's back. We're we're putting him on Saturday today. Little change of pace. Little change of pace. I think that's good. People, people who haven't heard you, perhaps, because we, we normally uh, do Scott on Sunday, can uh, can get to know Scott Wilkinson. Hey, hi there, everybody, on Saturday. <laughs> He's editor-in-chief <laughs> of the Ultimate AV Magazine at ultimateavmag.com, columnist at Home Theater Magazine at hometheatermag.com, and joins us every week to talk about home theater. We should mention the reason you're doing Saturday this week is that next week you're performing. That's right. Um, next week, I am performing on Sunday morning. That's also Daylight Savings Day, so I'm going to get an hour less sleep than usual. Plus, I have a gig that morning uh, to commemorate the centennial of a very sad moment in history, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire in New York, in which 146 young women, mostly young uh, Jewish and Italian women who were working there, lost their lives in a fire. Because all the exits were locked. Yeah, it's thanks to that tragedy that we have a lot of the safe workplace safety rules that we have now. So exactly, it was it was one of the key defining moments of the beginning of the labor movement. Right, um, and of course, that's obviously extremely uh, relevant today as we watch the news about Wisconsin and Ohio and so on. Um, and we don't want to forget uh, where what happened there a hundred years ago. So. We're doing a big production uh, to commemorate that uh, in L.A. at the um, West Side Neighborhood School in Marina del Rey on the west side of L.A. So anybody who wants to check that out uh, can go to the website Sholem, S-H-O-L-E-M dot org and uh, and check out the uh, details on when and where that is. But uh, I'm very honored to be uh, doing that, and uh, that's why I'm here on Saturday, because tomorrow I have a rehearsal for that particular performance. I always have to ask Scott what instrument he's playing in these uh, things, because you uh, play any wind instrument Scott can play. Just about. If just there's about. if there's a big win, <laughs> wind, <laughs> Scott, yes, Scott's I'm, behind it. I'm the big wind that blows no good, yes. <laughs> so, uh, tuba, uh, trumpet? I'm playing tuba, actually, uh, yes, tuba, and um, also an instrument called the iwi, uh, EWI, which is, stands for Electronic Woodwind Instrument. Wow. And uh, basically, it's an electronic saxophone. Oh, that's cool. It so it, it does like it have a, a reed? Yeah, it does. But it does. the reed doesn't vibrate. The reed is only used to bend the pitch. So you bite down on it, and it uh, bends the pitch. So or you, does does something else. Are you, you blowing this. across a hole? I mean, what are you... Yes, you're blowing into a hole. Into like a, like a tuba as opposed to across, like, say, a flute. Correct. Correct. It's more like it looks more like you're you're playing a clarinet or mm. a, a recorder or something like that. It's got keys on it, just like a regular woodwind instrument. You blow into it, and the amount of breath pressure that you apply determines the volume. Uh, and depending on what else the instrument is programmed to do, other characteristics, the tone or so on. Anyway, this thing it's by itself doesn't make any sound at all. It only sends MIDI information, MIDI standing for Musical Instrument Digital Interface, which sends data about what note you're playing, how loud you're playing it, whether or not you're bending the pitch, all kinds of different parameters, what are called performance characteristics or parameters. And it sends those, those messages to a synthesizer. And in this case, I'm playing a Yamaha VL70, 
which is a physical modeling synthesizer that responds really well, better than most synthesizers, to breath pressure. So uh, I'm playing on that. I'm playing, um, I think, a trumpet sound and a clarinet sound oh. and an oboe sound and a bassoon sound, certainly. So it's uh, um, it really MIDI uh, instruments are uh, really you're controlling a computer, but uh, the instruments are designed to facilitate you playing the instrument that you're familiar with. In your case, it's, it's a wind instrument, but I've seen MIDI guitars. Correct. Uh, yep, MIDI keyboards are, MIDI. are most common, of course. MIDI was designed mostly for keyboard instruments, uh, for the keyboard paradigm, I like to say. Uh, so in other words, uh, when you play a note, one of the pieces of information that gets sent over MIDI is called velocity. So it's the velocity with which you played that key. Um, but in the interim, in the 25 years now or so that MIDI has been around, and MIDI is quite a remarkable story, um, people have developed uh, guitar controllers, that is, things that look like and play like guitars, but instead of sending out audio, they send out MIDI. And MIDI wind controllers, such as I play. And Yamaha makes uh, used to make them. I think they still do, actually. Um, Akai used to make them. That's actually the official iwi, the electronic woodwind instrument. Akai also makes an EVI, electronic valve instrument, that fingers like a trumpet. Oh, that's neat. So, so if you very, know how to play a trumpet or a clarinet, or it, but you can control a computer by playing that, your natural musical instrument. That's, that's kind right. of a neat idea. Hey, and, let me ask you, did you see the garage band that they demoed in the new iPad 2? And as no, a musician, I, I was wondering what you'd think about it. They have, uh, uh, you know, they'll put strings on the, on, the, uh, on the screen of the iPad 2, which you can virtually strum, strum and bend. <laughs> Uh, they, I, you know, I, I saw an app on the iPhone for that. Yeah, uh, that well, this has a keyboard, a strings, and a lot of the features of GarageBand, which is essentially a loop, a MIDI loop, um, mm -hmm. uh, loop recorder, recorder, and you know, uh, audio mixer. as well, right? Yeah, I'd also do a wave audio. In fact, they have eight track recording now oh, on man. the iPad. So I thought that might be a very interesting musical instrument for uh, people who uh, want to do it electronically. Absolutely. I wonder if the iPad has any way to get MIDI information into it. In which case, you could use a controller like the Ewe or a MIDI guitar controller or a MIDI keyboard, for that matter, and play the software synthesizer that's, that is certainly within GarageBand. I know right. GarageBand has a software synth that you can play with one of these things. I wonder if there's any way to get MIDI into an iPad. That's a great question. I don't, I don't know. I mean, they have a USB connector, which... Uh, I'll bet you that you could do it that perhaps way, Perhaps sure. inadvertently supports a variety of different interfaces, including <laughs> microphones. I don't know if they intended it that way, but... Uh, you can uh, somebody's saying you can't say MIDI inv info via Bluetooth. So, uh, oh, yes, okay. the iPad so, can receive MIDI in one of a couple of different ways, either through the USB interface or through Bluetooth. So that's yeah. very interesting. That is very interesting. It's really an instrument. And we've seen bands. We've seen iPad bands with the old iPad. This new one might be even more uh, uh, interesting for Matt. I mean, basically, you've got a whole recording studio yes. in a little, you know, seven inch, quarter inch thick thing. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh but we should talk about <laughs> we should talk a little theater. bit about home theater, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little. Uh, you you well, got anything to talk about today? I do. I've, I've got a bunch of questions, of course, as always. Um, here's one you could maybe help me with, actually. Uh, Eddie Joseph writes, uh, I have a 35-foot 35 Ethernet cable, and it's 15 feet too short. Will I lose any signal if I connect the two, two cables with a female-to-female -female adapter? I don't think so. Do you? Well, it's a little, it gets a little tricky. One of the, I've seen tests, you know, because, of course, people always want to know, do I have to spend extra money 
on digital video cables. Mm-hmm. And uh, the to key that is, I say generally no, except key, if it's really long. Well, the key is digital, uh, but exactly right. The tests showed that anything under say ten or fifteen or even thirty feet, all cable, all digital cables are probably the same. But when you mm-hmm. do get to longer lengths, mm-hmm. then it can make a difference. Thirty feet yeah. or above. Exactly. Um, daisy chaining uh, cables can also, you know, there, there is a limit to how far you can go. And certainly analog cables absolutely degrade after a while. Absolutely. That's right. And in terms of HDMI, you can't just daisy chain them together. You have to have a repeater or a booster along the way to keep the so, signal, uh, keep the signal integrity up. And I'm wondering if that's true of Ethernet as well, because I know you can run Ethernet, Ethernet can go a lot farther, as can fiber optics. There is. For, uh, so he wants to daisy chain what kind of uh, cable? Ethernet. Ethernet. So no, that's that fine. Like, he can go uh, as long as he want on that one, I think, yeah. Right, but can, can you connect? My question is, and I know that this is also true of, of analog, you don't want to necessarily couple them together with like a female-to-female uh, coupler. I think you're fine. I think you're okay. I, we, we do that. It's probably not ideal, but you can you can do that. Yeah, okay. Scott uh, Wilkinson, editor-in-chief of the Ultimate AV Magazine. I'm glad we didn't start talking about Balin's. Maybe, <laughs> maybe later. <laughs> Have a great concert next uh, next weekend. We'll talk to you next Saturday. Next Saturday. Thank you so much. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 88, 88, ask Leo. Scott Wilkinson, I forgot to mention, does a great podcast, Home Theater Geeks. He is the Home Theater Geek. You can find that at uh, my podcast network, twit.tv slash HTG, or search for Home Theater Geek on iTunes or the Zoom marketplace or anywhere you find finer podcasts. He is going to do a good one on Monday. He does those at 1.30 Pacific. You can watch live at live.twit.tv. Uh, he's going to talk to David Bowles. He's going to be at a Pioneer event. They're going to show off their new uh, Pioneer, I think, stereos and stuff. And so he's going to ha- actually do the uh, podcast from that event in San Francisco on uh, on Monday at 1.30. 8888, Ask Leo. That's the phone number. Bill in Las Vegas, Nevada. You're next. Hey, Bill. Thanks for taking my call. I'm interested in, uh, are you still recommending the android incredible uh, well now that one's almost a year old now so times change and it kind of depends what here's what i recommend now for cell phones yeah you don't start with the phone you start with the network okay. so i would i would say it, you know figure out who's the best cell phone carrier in uh, the places you plan to use a cell phone right uh, maybe it's somebody it might be somebody that uh, you're already using often that's the best just because you're going to get a you know a deal because you're renewing uh-huh uh but it might be somebody new you know there are a lot of iphone owners who would lo- just love to get out of the contract with at&t so figure out who you like at&t verizon sprint t-mobile who's the best ask your friends and neighbors and then you can look at the phones that they offer certainly if it's verizon or at&t an iphone probably should be one of the phones you consider not not necessarily the only phone Right. What carrier? What carrier do you want to take a look at? I'm with uh, Verizon. Okay. And um, I just thought I'd stick with them. 
you know. Yeah, well, I you know, I would certainly look at an iPhone, although we know that there will be a new iPhone. Apple did something interesting that might be an indicator of what their plans are with the Verizon iPhone. They announced that all of the AT&T iPhones would be updated next week to the latest version of iOS. Yeah. They, they, they didn't say AT&T, not Verizon. They said all the GSM phones. Well, that just happens to leave out the Verizon phones. So I am a little concerned about whether Apple's going to maintain its schedule of updates on Verizon. They maybe they I don't know if the iPhone five will be available in June. It's certainly be worth waiting for. Well, what uh, I do think the Incredible is a nice phone, uh, but I do think that the next Android phone on Verizon that I would take a look at is the Thunderbolt. It's from HTC. It's a 4.3-inch screen. Now, this, now, the nice thing about the Incredible, it's a smaller screen, but some people like bigger screens. I happen to like bigger screens. Yeah, uh, I, it has an 8-megapixel you know, eight camera, flash, 720D camcorder, well, 720p camcorder. I think it's a nice... This is the kind of the hot phone. And, it, and, and this is important, I think, if you're a Verizon customer, it supports their 4G network. Oh, okay. That sounds good. The Incredible will not supposed support the 4G network. Now, I would wait. I would wait and see the reviews because, uh, you know, one thing some people are saying is that the battery life on this Thunderbolt won't be very good. Boy, that wouldn't shock me. 4G right. phones generally don't get great battery life, but right. I'd like to see them resolve that. So there's, you know, never buy it. Never, never decide on a phone sight unseen, obviously. Right. But the Incredible is now, how old is the Incredible? It's, uh, it's almost a year old, isn't it? Okay, well, yeah, so... It's certainly not the latest thing. And we don't know when the Thunderbolt's going to be out. But I do think if you're on Verizon, you should look at 4G alternatives. Oh, okay. I'm not particular about iPhone. Although I have an iMac right now, I'm looking at you on your, you know, your broadcast. (laughs) Hey, I'm waving at you. You'll see that in about 20 seconds. (laughs) So um, I would say, look, the iPhone is is, is a very good phone. There's no no doubt about it. And for people who are getting their first smartphone, I think the iPhone is a very good choice. If you are a little more sophisticated, um, if you kind of know what you're doing, yeah. um, I I have to say I'm an Android fan. I'm currently my my phone of choice is the Nexus S, uh, which is a I have to use on T-Mobile because uh, that's that's the only company that supports it. Um, but I I do think that uh, what we're going to see is an explosion of Android phones this year, and I think there'll be a lot of great choices. Okay. All right. I've been watching you since Screensavers and way back, way back. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your information. All right. Take care. I do love the Incredible. I really think that, you know, it was kind of an updated version of the Nexus One, which uh, was my favorite phone for a while. So I think the Incredible is actually still a very, very strong phone. Maybe because it's almost a year old, you'd be able to get it uh, cheap. If you could get it for 100 bucks or 50 bucks, that might be a, an argument for it as well. There are a lot, of, a lot of interesting choices out there right now. Uh, and Aronis is pointing out in the chat room, because the Incredible is so uh, venerable, almost a year old, uh, that it's very hackable. There, uh, once you once you root it, there's a lot you can do with it. There, a lot of people have been messing with it, so that's a good that's a good sign as well. Hey, before we get to our next call, we're gonna uh, in just a minute we're gonna pick up on Jason in Santa Clarita who wants a new. Uh, he just got a new notebook. Wants a uh, recommendation for how to set it up. I love talking about that kind of thing. Always nice to think about that before, right? 
before you get going, if you can. I would like to talk very much right now, though, about backing up. That's a, that's going to be a big issue for uh, for him on a new computer. So let me take an advantage take advantage of that to mention Carbonite.com. Carbonite is backup done right, easy, automatic, uh, encrypted, and it's cloud backup. That means you're backing up to the internet, which means you can get that data anytime, anywhere, just by logging onto your Carbonite account. You don't have to wait for a disaster to happen. You can they even have a free iPhone and BlackBerry app. Every time you turn on your computer, it kind of is like rolling the the dice, you know? You just, <laughs> is this the day my hard drive dies or my computer crashes? If you've got Carbonite Online Backup, it just it's just a little bit more peace of mind. Easy to get started. It just takes minutes. You could try it free for 15 days. Go to Carbonite.com and use my name, Leo. And if you decide you like it, it's just $55 a year for unlimited backup. Now, let me be clear. Unlimited means all your personal data on your internal drive. They're the last man standing on that one. They're, they still offer unlimited backup, $55 a year. When you sign up and use my name, Leo, and you sign up for a year, you'll get an additional two months free. So you get 14 months instead of 12 at the same price. Carbonite.com, offer code Leo. This is a key part of your backup strategy. you got to back it up to get it back, so do it right. With Carbonite, Jason, Santa Clarita, California. New computer time. Hey, Jason. Leo, how are you? I'm great. Congratulations. Well, you know, I don't have actually in hand yet. I'm a, I'm a student who's going back to school this fall after being away from a long time, and I wanted something super portable to take with me to class. And I actually thought about the iPad, too, for a while, but I decided I'd rather have, you know, a full computer, and I actually ordered the, uh, the HP DM1Z. Okay. Uh, uh, super little portable computer, and I don't have it yet, but um, when I do, I'm looking for recommendations on... Um, maybe some backup software, and because uh, I'm going to clean install the computer, I know that the HPs come with a lot of bloatware and things like that. I want they do. That's the only ne- the real negative in my mind about HP is all the extra stuff. But it's but it's a simple thing just to get rid of it and start fresh. Right, and that's exactly what I want to do. So I'm going to get a, a, an external drive and kind of start fresh and start doing backups and stuff. So I'm looking for if you have recommendations on something that's. Uh, backup software that has like a, a small imprint, so free or I'll pay either way, but um, some some good software and then maybe a, a recommend uh, recommendation on a backup hard drive too. This is this is this uh, DM One Z is basically their MacBook Air, isn't it? It's very thin, very light, three pounds, three and a half pounds, something like that, right? Yep, it's uh, it, it's pretty small and it's been getting great reviews, and that's one of the main reasons I chose it. Um, I, I do love Mac computers as well, but this is. You know, half, hey, the price is right. It's five hundred bucks. Yeah, it's half the price, and I already have <laughs> yeah. a pretty mean desktop machine. So I'm just looking for something cheap and portable. I would say, uh, you know, disclaimer up front: Carbonite is a paid sponsor. Right. Um, but one of the reasons Carbonite is a nice thing for a laptop is you don't have to be at home to be backing up. Anytime you're online, you're backing up. So there's some advantage to an online backup for a laptop, particularly. Desktop, it's always home. You're sitting right next to your hard drive. You can always have an external backup that's free, and uh, I like doing that. I still do that and Carbonite. But for a laptop, you really got to think about, well, how often am I going to be sitting next to a, an external drive and backing up? Right. So you know what I do with my Air, which has very little storage, is I, uh, I, put a, I use Dropbox, and I keep almost all the data I work on on Dropbox. Do you know about Dropbox? I, I'm not familiar with it, now. Yeah, take a look. Dropbox.com, two gigabytes free. 
which for a lot of people is all you need. If you're a student, you know, you've got a lot of docs, Word docs, that kind of thing, papers that you're writing. Two gigabytes worth of Word docs is an awful lot. Uh, You know, two gigabytes is not much when you start talking about photos and other things. For that, you probably want Carbonite. But I would take a look at Dropbox um, because then it's always synchronized. Online backup, that's what you want. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Laporte, the tech guy, eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Ask Leo. That's the phone number. Talking tech, computers, the internet, cell phones, and camcorders. Home theater too. We were talking. This is a great one of my favorite subjects, which is cloud storage. Cloud storage. Uh, with our last caller, who said, "I'm getting a new laptop. It's a." You know, a small laptop. It does have a big hard drive, 750 gigs. But nowadays, you know, I think, for instance, the MacBook Air, which is what I use, it's very small, lightweight, and it has a solid-state drive, and those are expensive, so it's small, 64 gigs. And uh, now, 60. <laughs> I come from an era where two-gig drives are so big they had to divide them in half because the operating system wouldn't see the whole drive. Two-gig drives. So 64 gigs still sounds like a lot to me, but it's easy if you have video and music, and photos, it's easy to fill it up. So why, you, you might ask, did, Leo, why'd you, why'd you settle for a 64-gig drive? Well, because more and more, all my storage is on the Internet. And there are so many good solutions. I'd also like to mention to our caller that uh, um, on Windows, this doesn't work on Macs, which is one of the reasons I, I, I didn't mention it, but on Windows, I mentioned Dropbox, I mentioned Carbonite. Those are both cross-platform. But Microsoft's mesh technology allows you five gigabytes, and uh, and it if you go to mesh.com, you could find out about it. And it uh, it's free. It'll do all the folder syncing and so forth that you want to do. So that's a good choice. There's SugarSync is another company that's paid. So Windows, I guess they call it Windows Live Mesh. <laughs> sure, they do. Windows Live Mesh, and uh, if you sign into that, that does some great syncing. I'm a, I have to say, there's something about Dropbox I just really love for that purpose. So, and that's what I, uh, you know, Carbonite is a backup solution. You can use it as storage, but Dropbox is a little more transparent. So, you set up, just try the free two gig account. You set it up. When you install Dropbox, uh, it essentially puts a folder on your hard drive called Dropbox. It's a local folder. But anything you put in that folder and and any subfolders you create within that folder will automatically get synced to Dropbox, to the Internet. And then if you install Dropbox and log into that same account on other computers, it'll get pulled down to those other computers. So this is the advantage of that. If you've got Dropbox installed on your laptop and your desktop and logged into the same account, the minute you create a file on one of them, let's say you create a new Word document, 
you're at you're in class and you start your class notes and you create it in the Dropbox folder on your laptop, not only is it backed up to the internet, but it's then also backed up, pulled down to your desktop. So when you get to your desktop, you can work on it there. And it'll propagate back to your laptop. I think for a student, that's a great solution. If you work with primarily text or Word files, it won't it won't fill up two gigabytes. You'll, you'll be fine with two gigabytes. Now, drop the new Dropbox, the latest version, lets you to selectively sync folders. So you don't have to have all the folders on the same computers. I have, you know, for, for work, we have a fairly large a 60 gigabyte Dropbox, which, by the way, is a lot of money. I think it's 10 bucks a month. It's very expensive. Uh, but we use it to, you know, to, to send files to, uh, to our hosts and things. And, in fact, I use it to uh, send files to, uh, to uh, Luis at, uh, at the radio show when I have to pre-record something or commercials. We do that, too. But I don't propagate all 60 gigs onto my MacBook Air. I couldn't. There's not enough room. So I just say on the MacBook Air, well, only, uh, only, only duplicate these three folders. Those are the ones I care about. And you can also put Dropbox on a lot of smartphones, including Android phones and Apple iPhones. Apparently, Live Mesh is available for the Macintosh. I didn't know that. I don't know how well it works. But they do have it for the Mac, too. That's kind of neat. I'll have to try it. That's very cool. And that's it. That's free. That's the Microsoft's Live Mesh. Free for five gigabytes, anyway. Any any one of these solutions is a great idea. Now, sometimes I hear people say, oh, cloud storage, you can't trust cloud storage. That's, you know, I'm going to trust my data to the cloud. Are you crazy? Well, first of all, that's what I like about Mesh and Dropbox is you're not solely on the cloud. You've got a copy on your laptop, a copy on your desktop, and then a copy on the cloud. But for those who say, I can't possibly trust my data on the Internet, where's your money? Is your money in the bank? No. Your money doesn't exist. Your money is effectively in the cloud. So you've been trusting it for your banking for a long time. And if you do online banking, you absolutely are. But even if you don't, the bank doesn't have a dollar bill for every dollar bill you get in your paycheck. You trust that the bank keeps track of that. It keeps track of it and then gives it to you. Sugar sink I mentioned is also good. I think the cloud is fine, but it's fine to store things in the cloud, but not solely on the cloud. That's that's the key. Because what if the internet goes out? Then do you, you know. Then what? So that's why Dropbox or, or Mesh from Microsoft. That's a good solution. Carbonite, good solution because you have local and cloud of the same thing. Christine in Los Angeles, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Leo. Great to talk to you. Listen, I have um, uh, two quick questions, if that's okay. I thought of another while I was waiting when you mentioned your cruise earlier. Sure, got plenty of time. Great, thank you. I wanted to ask if it would be possible to get a list of the 90 apps in your 60 apps in 60 minutes <laughs> presentation. Yeah, you know, that's funny. So I did a cruise, uh, when I was gone on vacation for the first three weeks of February. Wow. Uh, three weeks off. That was luxurious. And um, what the cruise is a geek cruise. I've been doing these since 2004, um, and it was called Mac Mania. It was for Mac fans. And uh, so the deal is I go on this cruise, and I give lectures. And I gave four lectures, and one of them, as you obviously know, Christine, was my pick for 90 iPhone apps. I also did 60 free Mac apps. Hmm. And all of my lecture notes I should put online. I will, I'll put them on my blog, leoville.com. Oh, please, please. 
Yeah, Please. I apologize for not doing that sooner, but I will do that, Christine. Oh, thank you so much. And Probably then my a lot of them you'll know. The Mac, it's interesting. It's a challenge to do these lectures because the crowd on Mac Mania, by the way, there's more coming up. You can find out more at, at, at geekcruises.com. The crowd on Mac Mania ranges from absolute neophyte, brand new, first-time users to people who are massive experts. And so I have to pick something. <laughs> I have to pick 90 apps that appeals across the range. So many of these apps you'll probably already know about. But maybe there'll be a few in there that you don't that'll be worth taking a look at. They're they're my like my ninety favorite. Okay, terrific. Thank you. And my original question was going to be that I've um, uh, been thinking about buying a Roku box or uh, one of the new um, uh, the Apple TVs. And then I went to MacWorld and attended one of the sessions. And someone there said that if I just buy the software called ATV from FireCore. Um, $49. It's software that's supposed to update the existing Apple TV I have and yes. <clears throat> excuse me, make it um, so that I can do streaming video with that. I can uh, use it for Netflix. And I right. you thought about that. So the ATV uh, is basically a packaging of all the hacks for Apple TV into one very easy installation. You can get it for free. It uses something called Patch Stick. But it's so much trouble to do it for free. <laughs> you know, you have all these scripts you have to run and, and everything that it's worth the 49 bucks to pay FireCore for the ATV. What it does, you download a file. It has a process you go through that may seem complex in itself, but believe me, it's a lot easier than Patchstick that puts this on a USB key because your old Apple TV, yeah, the new Apple TV too, the only way you can get something on there is by booting to the USB key. So you'll reboot your Apple TV with this specially prepared USB key in the uh, port and it'll and it'll install all this stuff. Now here's the negative, here's the down. That's the good side. It's easy to do. The downside is the processor in the old Apple TV is very limited. It's very slow. So I found that I was able to patch the Apple TV to do a lot of things, but it just didn't have the horsepower to do it in a good and acceptable fashion. Okay, thank you. So hang on, and I'll, I'll talk. You don't have to hang on the line. I'll talk more with it when we come back. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, 8888. Ask Leo. <laughs> this is an inside joke, this song. But thank you, Kyle. I didn't know you had that. We were, that's really good. We were watching the uh, the Safety Dance Literal video. This is a meme on YouTube where as they're, uh, as they're doing the actual video that was made for the song, they, they change the lyrics to actually just describe what's going on in the video. And if you look at music videos, they usually are so strange that it's kind of a funny little meme. You know what a meme is? A meme is like an idea that kind of catches. It's like a catches people's mind, you know, minds, thoughts, and and they, and they can't get it out. Kind of like a, like an earworm, a song you can't stop singing. And that's one of them, by the way. The, I apologize if you sing that for the rest of the day. <laughs> I feel like I'm hearing it again right now. Just, you can never get rid of it. <laughs> 
So the internet is full of these memes. I mean, it's starting go- way back when. Remember the hamster dance? The hamster dance? Yeah, that was a song you couldn't get out of your mind. It was so stupid. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Well, at least we got rid of the safety dance. Uh, so there are plenty of internet memes. I thought it was kind of interesting. I was watching the Academy Awards this week. And, uh, you know, clearly they were aiming this at a youth audience. I can't think of any other reason why they had James Franco on. They were clearly aiming it at young people, which is, you know, I understand that probably uh, somebody did a focus group, either ABC or the Academy. And, and the focus group said, yeah, the only people who watch this are over 55. And, you know, that's it really scares uh, broadcasts. And this happens all the time, by the way. After 30 years plus in broadcasting, I've seen this over and over again. They get scared that their audience is so old that when they die, no one will watch. And I can guarantee you the, the, the Academy is going... Oh my God! <laughs> Our audience is too old. We no one's going to be watching in twenty years. So they say, "How do we get young people to watch?" Now there's a big problem for traditional broadcasters right now. People in their twenties don't watch TV. People in their teens really don't watch TV. They're all watching YouTube now, right? I look at my kids; they very rarely watch TV. It's all on the computer. So this is scaring the heck out of ABC, CBS, NBC, HBO, the Oscars, and everyone else. What are we going to do? The kids today, they don't watch TV. We're going to be obsolete. Well, you know what? Guess what? I think that's true. And doing what you tried to do with the Academy Awards is just going to annoy everybody, including your existing audience, to the point where no one watches sooner than you thought. So uh, they put two YouTube memes on the Oscars. Did you notice that? The meme number one is the auto-tune meme. If you go to YouTube and you watch YouTube, you'll see this very popular. Just search for auto-tune. There's auto-tune the news. A lot of the hot YouTube videos involve auto-tuning people who, you know, making people sing who aren't singing. And they did that. Remember that little, it was right, uh, uh, was it right after the tribute to people who died? Or was it right after the... um, Lifetime Achievement Awards, both of whom the Academy realizes or thinks are tune-outs for younger people, right? We don't want to talk about death, and we don't want to talk about Lifetime Achievement because it's a bunch of old people. So we've got to do something to get that, wash that horrible taste out of our mouth. I know, we'll take clips from movies and auto-tune them. So you got Ron and Hermione singing about the little magic ball. Now, that was just awful. That was just awful. But it's their it's their, you know, focus group mentality of how do we get the young people? <laughs> what are, what do the what do the 20 somethings do? They they go to YouTube and watch Autotune. Oh, we'll do that. It's almost, you know, insulting. And then they had the, and actually this wasn't so bad. They had those little kids on from the school at the end. That's another. That if you were wondering, well, how did what happened? How did that happen? Where did they come from? Well, that was another big YouTube hit. Everybody's doing it now. The Grammys, right? They have the YouTube uh, uh, music band or whatever it is. <sighs> the Gregory Brothers did the uh, auto-tune? Well, of course they did. They're the kings of auto-tune. That's what, you know, the Academy, one thing the Academy and ABC have is money. So, of course, they're going to go out and throw money uh, at somebody. And then, of course, they overreact the other way, and they say, well, we got to wait a minute. We don't want to scare. What about we'll have somebody really old on? <laughs> That's why Kirk Douglas was on, and it was great to see him. I mean, it's just, uh, you could tell. You could feel the focus group just 
all over that show. Anyway, it's fun. You know, actually, it's kind of fun. And I and I, I I've, this is a show I've always wanted to do is like an Internet meme show, the Internet meme report. Like, what is the meme this week? Because it changes daily, almost hourly. What are the kids doing now? And I think that'd be kind of fun. What is everybody talking about now? And that the literal, those literal music videos, that's been around for a while, but they're kind of fun. Lewis is in Hollywood. Hey, Lewis, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. How you doing, Leo? Very well. Um, before my tech question, I wanted to know, did you ever find your missing salad? <laughs> Two years ago, uh, I went to the grocery store, made a beautiful salad, and I left it on the refrigerator out here in the lobby, and it disappeared, and I know somebody stole it, but no. What, it what has kind never of been found. Was it? it was a green salad. You didn't steal it, did you, Lewis? Well, no, but I was in a restaurant the other night, and I'm pretty sure I was served a 24 month old finished <laughs> salad. That, that, that was it? Yours. That was it! <laughs> uh, Leo, I want to know why people are following me on Twitter. I signed up uh, not long after I got my iPhone 4, and uh-huh. so I could follow the smart people like you and others. And um, I don't tweet. I'm, I'm too long-winded for it. No one's going to be interested in what I have to say. But within a week, I got notifications that three people were following me. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. So you're not famous, Lewis? No, not yet. Despite living in Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> All right. So uh, you wonder, why is somebody listening to my tweets? Well, so, some of it just could be chance, but I think more likely it's spammers. And I've never quite understood their thinking here, but it happens to me and everybody who's on Twitter that you will get random follows. You will also get what's really weird on Twitter is you'll get random um, people repeating your tweets. Have you noticed that? If you do tweet, just strange accounts will just say the same thing. Right. Those are spammers. And their theory, I guess, is that they maybe will get your attention. Have you follow them back? There are a lot of people on Twitter who will follow anyone who follows them. I got you. So they're kind of hoping you'll follow them back, and then they can spam your Twitter account. So, yeah, the easiest thing to do is to take a look at uh, whoever's following you. Don't follow them necessarily, but just click their their name and see what they're saying. And if it seems a little spammy, or if they're repeating other people's tweets, they do that so it doesn't look spammy, right? It looks like they're putting real content in there. But it's all bots. Gotcha. So that's what that is. Thank you very much, sir. But now say something interesting, Lewis, and we'll all follow you. Uh, I'm looking forward to the new studios. That's good. That was um, 140 characters. <laughs> uh, you know, the, I, uh, about the studios, um, I understand you're going to have uh, mocap in there, right? Yes, we are. And, I was, you know, this is an auspicious anniversary. Fifteen years ago this year, uh, an indelible character was born in computer technology. And I think with the move to the new studios and the, move, uh, the mocap there, I think it's time to bring back Dev Null. I was afraid you were going to say that. <laughs> I, I think, so Dev Null was a virtual character I created on MSNBC when they launched. Yep. And Lewis, I have some good news for you, but hang on. We'll talk about it when I come back. Leo, oh dear. I was afraid he'd mention that. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
Is that Ron and Hermione? <laughs> they released this? This is the uh, auto-tuned song from the uh, Academy Awards. Is that not horrible? What, Kyle, did they release that as a song? He got it on YouTube. Of course he did. <laughs> it's a meme. <laughs> now that's double. That's 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 a circular meme. You know, it's funny because I I think auto tune sounds horrible, and this is of course extreme auto tune, and it's funny when you hear it. But I hear it on popular songs so commonly now that uh, I guess the kids are just used to it because it just sounds it sounds like people can't sing, and they're fixed. That's what it was originally used for is to. Slightly, gen- gently fix poor singing. And it was used, actually, it's been used for years. But now they just turn it up all the way. T-Pain, I guess, started it, but they turn it up all the way. And uh, it's, it's a weird effect. Remember the uh, Cher uh, song? Uh, it was the first time I heard that used widely about five, six years ago. This portion of the Tech Guy brought to you by DSL Extreme, your, my internet service provider, maybe yours too, for high-speed internet at an amazing price. If you don't have them yet, call them right now. 866, the number two, uh, get net to get DSL Extreme. What was the name of that share song? Unbelievable, inconceivable. Late 90s. Was it that old? Wow. So more than 10 years ago. Believe. Believe. That was it. Believe. It was weird. It was just weird. 8888-ASK-LEO. Now, I, was, I said I was going to talk about something when I came back. And I've completely, uh, completely forgotten. Chat room, uh, would you tell me? We have a great chat room. And if you've not been in it, I, I, give it a try. It's really fun. You, all you have to do is go to our website, techguylabs.com. And uh, if you uh, click the link that says chat there, it puts you right in the chat room. But there's also video and a lot of other stuff, including the, the notes from the show. This is episode 749. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was going to talk about uh, Dev Null. So this was a virtual reality character that I created uh, on MSNBC, well, I shouldn't say just I. I mean, it, it was uh, pretty sophisticated for its time. This was 1994. It involved a uh, half-million-dollar silicon graphics Onyx computer. It took two operators, Karsten Bondi uh, and Christine, uh, who made my hair move and my eyebrows go up and down, and then I had to wear a motion capture suit. And uh, and Soledad O'Brien was the anchor of the show that we were on the site uh, would talk to me. But the thing that was unique is that it was a cartoon character, but it was animated in real time by my own motions. So we, you know, we could do it live, and I could dance around. It was a, it was a, not the highlight of my career, <laughs> even though I won an Emmy Award for it. It was not the highlight of. It's not how I would like to be remembered. However, the funny thing is. Nowadays, you can do exactly what I was doing cheaply with a PC, with a Windows PC. You don't need a whole lot of hardware or software. And I was talking to Karsten Bonney, one of my operators, the guy who spun my hair, just the other day. And he said, just between us kids, I saved the data, the definition of the character Dev Null. Because it's a computer-generated graphic. It has a, it has a definition. He says, I saved that. It's, I have it on that tape. So it is possible 
I don't know if it's desirable, but it's certainly possible to resurrect that virtual character from 1994 and bring it back to, like, using a PC. Maybe we will in the new studio. We will have the capability. Let's put it that way. Uh, Line one, Dan in Virginia. Dan, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Dan. Hello, Leo. Thank you for taking the call. Thanks for calling. I have a uh, Dell desktop computer. And uh, interesting, after I turn it on, a few minutes after I turn it on, uh, the printer's not on. There's no other external devices that I have connected to it. I I hear that window sound. Uh, It sounds like this. When you connect a device, see if you can hear it. Bing bong. You know that window? Yeah. Yeah. You turn the device on, right? So it makes that sound, and then a few seconds later, it makes the reverse, like when you disconnect the device. Uh, I do have an external USB hooked up to the printer, but the printer isn't even on at the time. So how can I set up a? I looked at Invent Viewer, but I'm not sophisticated enough to figure out how to use it. I'd like to be able to look into my computer and to see what hardware device it thinks it's finding to make that sound. Well, the easiest thing to do, it would be look at the device manager and uh, see what's connected on the USB port. Okay, I'm pretty familiar with device manager. Yeah. Now, on Windows 7, it's kind of buried. They've changed. It used to be right-click on my computer, select properties, and there to be, but now you have to kind of... It's right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Manage, and there's all your devices. Okay. That'll show you what Windows thinks is attached. Right, and there's a ton of them because the... The 9-in-1 card reader is also USB, so it finds all that stuff, too. Exactly. What You know, the easiest way to do would be unplug all USB devices, see if the same thing happens. Oh, okay. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> and even the, even the keyboard, and see if you hear the boom-boom, boom-boom. Um, it could very well be completely harmless. It could be the 9-in-1 card reader, just because uh, it has some circuitry in there, signing on and then saying, well, there's nothing in me. Yes, and I did have problems with that in the past when I first bought the computer. Yeah. Yes. I would guess it's probably that. Um, is that built into the computer? Yes, it is. It's in the front. Yeah. Built in. So you kind of, I would live with it, but you could disconnect it, but you'd have to open up the computer, look at the motherboard. Times, because I've yeah, dis- had problems with it in the past. I know exactly where the connector is. Okay. So yeah, it's connected right on the motherboard. If you've had that problem before. Right. Yeah. Process elimination. Unplug everything. Uh, don't you, you shouldn't hear anything. If you do at that point, then it could be the, the USB root hub itself. The software is a little messed up. That's unlikely. It's almost certainly it's saying it's seeing something transiently on the USB okay. chain. You have a lot of things connected various ways, even the keyboard and the mouse. They were originally wireless on this computer, but I had trouble with that. So I went back to USB, keyboard, and mouse. So I will do that. I will do the process of elimination, and I should have thought of that. That's why I call you. That's what I'm here for. Thank you, Dan. Can I give a quick shout-out to Android Central? They've been fantastic. I have the Samsung Fascinate. And I have it rooted. I have 2.2 on it. They've been a big help. So I appreciate all those people at Android Central. That's a great website. There are some, you know, one of the nice things about Android, because it is so programmable, is that there are a lot of um, people out there hacking it, messing with it, and there's a lot of great sites supporting it. And I I agree with you. Android Central is one of the sites I go to regularly to get the latest news about Android. And the 2.2 update I did a few weeks ago has worked fantastic. So I really appreciate everybody there and their support. Thank you, Leo. That's great. Thank you, Dan. Great to talk to you. Yeah, when you join, when, you know, this is a news site, but when you go to their forum section, you can join the forums, and it's a great place to ask questions. There are a couple of like the, uh, sites like this, Fandroid and Android Central and so forth. And uh, 
It's just full of enthusiasts who are hacking this phone. The nice thing about the Google Android operating system, first of all, besides the fact that it's on a huge variety of hardware, so you really can choose what you want, is that it is an open source project. There are some closed source programs on top of it. Google's Gmail program and Maps program and so so forth are, are closed source proprietary programs. But the operating system itself is completely uh, open source. That means anybody can take it, modify it, can see the source code. So it's particularly easy to hack. Now, I guess that could be a threat. In fact, uh, this week, a large number, several, I think several dozen apps were pulled off the Android marketplace because they had spyware in them. Uh, that's that's the negative of that kind of thing. But it's also, I in, in general, I prefer an open environment. A uh, little harder to use, perhaps, and that's maybe another reason why um, I say it's for enthusiasts. But if you are, if you if you get if you're getting serious about your hardware or your phone, and it really is a computer these days, I think Android's a great choice. Eighty eight eighty eight Ask Leo. That's the phone number. Eight 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 two seven five five three six. As I mentioned, the website techguylabs.com. Yeah, good place to go. Those great people in the chat room are smart. My brains out there externalized. Get back to the phones and your calls in just a moment. I am Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. found share amazing this is this is i think the first commercial use of autotune that was really outrageous when this came out in the 90s i don't think people knew about autotune well recording engineers did but i don't think the public did and every and but you know you're always especially with pop music looking looking for an effect I think it's very interesting that's, that that really, I think, was the first, first, first I remember, overt use of auto-tune. People have been using it for years to correct poor singing. <laughs> the idea was that no one know you're doing it. But I mean, like Cher, who's been around for years before auto-tune, we know she could sing because they didn't have auto-tune when she was first doing it. Sonny couldn't sing, but we knew he couldn't sing. He didn't pretend he couldn't he could sing. Nowadays, Sonny, you'd think, wow, that guy's got a perfect pitch. No. <laughs> and it's every once in a while, you'll see a performer in a live situation, and you realize, you know, they, they aren't very good singers, but the recordings sound perfect. And uh, that's, that's thanks to autotune. I think it's, in a way, it's kind of great to, to do it so much, to turn it up so high that you hear it, it sounds weird. And, and it certainly made a hit for that song. It's what you're always looking for, right? With a uh, with a pop single, is something unique. I I I, I boy, I, I loved the uh, Keith Richards biography, Life. I listened to that. 
and he talks about satisfaction. It was the first use of a kind of a fuzz tone in the guitar. And uh, he said, oh, you're always looking for that unique sound. Then, of course, everybody uses it, and it's no longer an advantage, and you have to find a new unique sound. Now everybody's auto-tuning, and it's certainly not an advantage. In fact, it gets to a point, doesn't it, where you go, please, no more auto-tune. Brian Thousand Oaks, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Brian. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Fine, thank you, and thank you for taking my call. Um, I am getting ready to launch a website probably within the next three to six months. And we're hoping to generate revenue from advertising. And I don't really know how to implement advertising. I've looked online and found some software packages and things like some third-party software. But I'm wondering if you could kind of explain how advertising on websites work. And also, um, I need to make sure that this particular website is either going to be like an international phenomenon or it's going to fail miserably. So if we grow... <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna, you know, I need something that will work for a small website, but could also grow, grow with right. us. Most people just start right off with Google AdSense, and it's very simple to implement. If you go to Google.com/slash/AdSense and you look at the publishers section, because there's people buying ads and there's people publishing ads. You're a publisher, correct? Uh, it'll explain what you do, and it's simple. It you just it putting a line of code of JavaScript code into your website in an appropriate spot, and then what happens is. That Google indexes your site, looks at keywords in your site. Then they help you with this, by the way. They have analytics and all sorts of stuff. This is Google, by the way, this is the chief source of revenue for Google by like 99%. This is how they make their money. Uh, And so uh, you embed those ads. The ads are supposedly germane to the content because Google's looking at the content. You do have a, a control panel that you can say, I don't want to have Viagra ads. You can control what kind of ads are on there. Okay. And then Google pays you per click. And that amount is negotiated with the advertiser. So some of that is dependent on the kind of content. Some some clicks are more valuable than others. Um, my experience with AdSense is it's hard to make a lot of money on AdSense. You can make some. I'm, uh, you know, uh, I've put AdSense on various websites. I don't currently have it on any, but... In the past, I've used it, and at, at, at its peak, I was able to make about a thousand bucks a month. Actually, I think there's there's still AdSense on one part of the Tech Guy sites. If you go to TechGuyLabs.com, when you do a search, I believe I'm not sure. Maybe maybe it's on Twit.tv. Not I think it's actually on Twit.tv. When you do a search, it's a Google search, and there will be ad results in that search result box because Google. I'm using Google to do the search of the site. Okay. But I noticed, and this I would pass along to you as, as useful advice that the, the they, they tell you google will give you analytics and one of the things they tell you is how much you get per click and the amount of money you make per click is much higher and the number of clicks is much higher on search results that makes sense because somebody's not just reading your site and clicking an ad next to people don't even see banner ads anymore but if somebody's searching for a specific thing on your site they get the search results and they see an ad that's exactly related to that specific thing, they're much more likely to click it. And so you make, instead of 50 cents a click, you might make five bucks a click on, an, on that. But, but it's, it's absolutely true that Google will help you with all of this, all this information. They're not hiding it. That is in the AdSense page. Okay. If, you get, if you really want to make more money, there are agencies that will do this for you, that, that do ad banner placement. 
not just Google, but there's a lot of companies. There's a site, uh, there's a company called Federated Media, for instance, that works only with the top bloggers. Now, typically, these sites will take a big commission. We don't really know what Google is taking, by the way. Google's never really revealed this has been a source spot for advertisers and publishers. Google doesn't say how much of the money the advertiser's paying goes to the publisher. Yeah, and that's- Actually, I think they, they finally revealed something along those lines recently. Well, um, you know, on, on Facebook, they have a, a way that you can create your own ad. And I'm wondering if there's anything out there. I mean, that's obviously proprietary to Facebook, but is there anything out there uh, like that for somebody like me that I could, you know, purchase the software or create your own? Oh, so you would do it all yourself, you're saying? Well, I, I'm not sure yet. I mean, the Google thing, I, I knew a they little. They do take a big commission. I mean, typically, I think Google was 30%. Federated media is 40%. So they take a big chunk of what you would get. So, And Facebook, I'm sure, is 40% as well. But I would guess I would guess that you would get more if you did it yourself. But the question is, would advertisers find you and trust you? Remember, advertisers, to advertise on your site, they don't go to your site. They go to Google. They tell Google what words they want to buy. And then Google places it on appropriate sites. So the advertiser doesn't even know about you and doesn't have to know about you for it to work. Okay. It, on the other hand, if to do what you to do it yourself, as you say, as you propose, the advert you somehow have to tell advertisers you exist. Now a company like Twitter can sell its own ads. They know Twitter exists. People, advertisers go to Twitter saying, I want to buy an ad. And Twitter has, by the way, if I'm I'm sure a fairly large dedicated sales force designed to do one thing, sell ads. I'm sure the Huffington Post, when it was, it's now AOL, but when it wasn't AOL, I'm sure they had an ad sales force. That's what you're talking about if you do it yourself. People who go out and say, would you like, just like a radio or a TV station, yeah. would you like to buy an ad? I'm wondering if there's a software in existence that I could easily implement into our... I don't know. I bet there is, but it's not going to obviate the need for a sales force. You cannot expect advertisers to come to you and say, I'd like to buy an ad. Let me do your automated system. Facebook can do it. But I don't think Brian Book can do it yet. <laughs> now, if you're huge, you're right. But that, that cross that bridge when you come to it. Okay. You don't have to decide that now. All right. Well, you've answered all my questions. I really appreciate it. And thanks, by the way, for that hamster dance thing. <laughs> I'm sorry to put that in your head. Get that out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, 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 so sorry. <laughs> Next, I'll do the Numa Numa song. <laughs> Maya he, Maya ha, Maya ha, Maya ha. Uh, yeah, it's a very, it's a, I mean, it's common sense if you think about it. Uh, big publishers, big renowned publishers, whether it's a magazine, TV show, radio show, or website, you have to be big. If you're big enough, you will have an ad sales force. You can sell your own ads. But most of them, Twitter, Twitter started in 2006. They didn't start doing ads till 2000, till end of 2010. They went four years with no revenue, with no ads. And that's kind of common. Facebook, same, they went even longer. No revenue, no ads. Reason being, they wanted to build an audience. They wanted to become big. Uh, and, the, and you really can't reasonably expect to make any money on ads until you are. Th- this is why Google... AdSense makes sense because you can do it on any site, however small. You may not make a lot of money, but at least you're monetizing the site a little bit. And then as you get, you know, then when you're big, when you're Brian Book, when you're huge, eh, 
and then you start your own thing. You can do your own thing. There's no, there's no reason that you cannot. You can turn off AdSense like that. You just take that code out; it's gone. So I think that's probably a good way to start, even though you're not going to make a whole lot of money. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy, eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Ask Leo the website TechGuyLabs.com. More of your calls still to come. Well, a good day to you, Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And we're time we're here uh, to talk tech and computers and the internet and cell phones and camcorders and MP3 players and auto-tune and internet memes and anything else that's on your mind. 8888-ASK-LEO is my number. 888-827-5536. Toll free from the U.S. Outside the U.S. Call Skype. Skype out will uh, call for free. One plus one eight 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 two seven five five three six. So uh, the iPad two announcement. Uh, you know everybody, everybody who watches Apple. It's kind of like Kremlin, Kremlinology. Remember, in, during the days of the Soviet Union, you'd you'd look. You'd, if Kremlinologists would study with a magnifying glass the pictures of the Soviet leaders during the May Day parade, and they would make very fine calculations about who was in charge, who was in power, based on who was standing closer to the edge, who was farther back, who was there, who wasn't there. It was all we, you know, it was all we could do to figure out what was going on. Well, there's a a modern form of Kremlinology. It's the study of Apple Computer and what the heck they're up to, because they're as close-lipped as uh, anybody's ever been. They're very good at controlling information about Apple. So I'm going to do, I'm going to indulge myself in a little Appleology here, Apple announced the uh, iPad One in January, shipped in April last year. This year, Apple announced the iPad Two in March and shipped one week later, March eleventh. They've moved the ship date up just ever so slightly. They've been pretty consistent with the iPhone, haven't they? Every June, right? I have I have a feeling that Apple is regretting just the slightest this April release date for the iPad. Apple's policy, and I think it's probably a good one, is to release a new iPhone once a year, not more. And you look at the Android marketplace where there's a new phone every five minutes, and you realize why that's a good thing. But customers don't get confused by the you know, huge variety. They don't get deterred by the fact that there'll be a new one out any minute. You know, they they know if you buy an iPhone in in June, you, you've got a year before it's out of date. And they can live with that. Now, there's a downside to that. Apple uh, has to hold on to innovation. 
Android phones move very quickly and are innovated very rapidly because there's always new stuff, new stuff, new stuff. But Apple, even if they had a great innovation, they'd have to wait till the next release date before they could in- implement it. And I think it's fairly likely that Apple slows down the releases, the innovations as well. They may be able to do it, but decide not to because they want to trickle it out and increase, maximize profitability. Hey, that's their job. I'm not complaining. But I do wonder if they feel like April is the best time to release an iPad. June's a good time to release an iPhone. I would imagine the cell phone sales, I don't know, but I would imagine that the summer is probably a good time to be new in the cell phone market. But is April a good time to be new in a in the in the iPad market? I suspect not. I bet you a lot of, in fact, I know for a fact, a lot of the iPads, most of the iPads are sold in the fourth quarter. The traditional shopping time, you know, the holiday shopping season. And unfortunately, that's awfully close to April. And you have to, if you're Apple, you have to wonder, man, are we losing some sales to people who say, well, I can wait till April to see what the new iPad is. Maybe I better not buy it in December. I only have to wait four months and I can see what the new one is. Wouldn't you really want to announce the iPad more like September? So you, you catch the, uh, the tidal wave of buying in the fourth quarter and you don't deter anybody from buying because they know they'll have to wait till September to see the next one. So I wonder if Apple moved up the ship date of the iPad 2, perhaps to give it some more time before the next iPad, the iPad 3, and perhaps they intend to announce an iPad 3 in the fall, not next spring, not wait the full year, get that that, that shipping cycle coordinated a little bit better with the holiday shopping season. So my guess, and this is completely a guess, this is the Appleology, is that Apple intends to release iPad 3 this year at the end of the year. Then they'll go to the yearly cycle. There are some reasons why they might want to do that. For instance, I think they did want to put a higher resolution screen in, but there just weren't enough. It was too hard to manufacture and it was too expensive. But maybe by September they can. They didn't do a lot of... They didn't do a lot of updates to the iPad 2. It isn't as much of a change as it could be. There are technologies they could have put in they didn't. Maybe because they wanted to hold some back for the fall. Or maybe not. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Darth Emma in our chat room says, no, Leo, they want the iPad 2 to come out in April because that's when you get your tax refund. (laughs) It is just about the right price for that, isn't it? I'd have to, you know, we'd we'd need more data. We'd need to know more about the... uh, the buying cycle on iPad. And since it hasn't been out a year, it's only been out nine months. We don't really know that. Next year or the year after. It would be a big deal for them to release an iPad so soon after, a new iPad so soon after releasing the iPad 2. Uh, and certainly they haven't telegraphed that because they don't. They want you to buy the iPad 2. I'm also wondering, because and this is really reading the tea leaves, I'm also wondering, since Apple was very clear that they said the new version of iOS 4.3 will be available on GSM phones on Friday, but not, they didn't mention the Verizon phone. It's not a GSM phone. Apple's taken, given a lot of heat to Android for its fragmented updates. You know, some Android phones are on more recent versions of the operating system than others. Some just never get updated. And Apple's been glad to point that out and say, see, this is why Android's terrible. But maybe they're going to get in the same position where they have two different versions of the operating system on two different versions of the iPhone. They've, oh, they, they've, they've basically said that. 
Now, maybe the Android, and I suspect this is the case, the Verizon version of, of the iOS update will come out a week later or two weeks later. Maybe they're having trouble with it or they, they need a little more time to test it. But if it doesn't come out pretty quickly, then you might wonder, gee, do they plan to update the Verizon iPhone on the regular schedule? Because they, they've got a problem there, don't they? They, they shipped a Verizon iPhone very close to the release of iPhone 5. And I suspect there's some Verizon customers, at least those that are paying attention, those that listen to the show who may, be, may have said to themselves, can, you, can I wait until uh, the new iPhone comes out in June? Yes, I can wait. I want the new iPhone. I don't want to buy the old iPhone with, with you know, that's a, a lame duck iPhone. It'll be out in a few months. It'll be obsolete in a few months. It's an intriguing and ultimately complete waste of time exercise. Because really, does it matter? <laughs> no. <laughs> it just keeps us uh, warm on those cold winter nights. Jeff in Fountain Valley, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Hi Leo. Welcome to the show. What can I do for you? Well, I'm calling you on my Samsung Samsung Captivate, right? I'm- How do you like that? I like I you know this Galaxy S I have is basically, a, or the Nexus S I have is basically the same model. It's a Galaxy S phone. Do you like it? I love it. I mean, it's it's really really good. It's really really it's really really good. But um, well, there's one problem on it. What's that? Well, basically, I have a Netflix account, net a Netflix account, and I watch Hulu a lot, right? Yeah, but Netflix has said we don't want to be on Android. We think it's too uh, easy to pirate. Yes, but is there any? Are there any apps, or do you know any um, programs that could l- allow me to watch Netflix or like Hulu? Ah, that's an interesting question. Neither Hulu nor Netflix have been released for Android, and the companies say we don't want to do it because Android's too uh, free, too open, too easy to perhaps create a way to capture it. It's basically a computer, right? The iPhone, we know, is a controlled, rigidly controlled platform. We don't have to worry about people stealing Netflix streams or Hulu streams on the iPhone. But, gee, it seems like anything goes on the Android phone. Hmm. Anybody uh, in the chat room know? I don't know of any way on, a, on an Android phone to watch Hulu Plus or uh, Netflix. You can get Flash, but it wouldn't be very uh, it wouldn't be a very good experience, I could tell you that. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. We'll see if we can find an answer for you after this. The text guy, 8888-ASK-LEO. Well, good news. Uh, Hulu Plus is coming to the Android phone. So that's that's good news. Netflix still isn't on the Android phone, but according to uh, Hulu, actually there's an article released uh, June, uh, sorry, January 6th uh, during Samsung's keynote at CES. Hulu CEO announced that Hulu Plus will be coming to select Android phones. You have to have 2.2 or better. Still not out. But you could use something called PlayOn, P-L-A-Y-O-N, dot TV. You'd have to put it on your PC. PlayOn then could communicate with the Android phone along with Wii, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and 
some other hard hardware, including Google TV. So it is possible to play uh, Hulu and Netflix content, but you'd have to do it from your PC first. And uh, then it could play on your Android phone over 3G as well as Wi-Fi. I have to think, though, it says it requires Flash. Flash on Android phones, Flash on any phone, it's terrible. It just requires a lot of processor power, so I'm not sure that's a good solution. And I wonder if sometime we'll see Netflix. It's possible that Netflix will rethink its issues uh, with Android, especially as Android gets bigger and bigger and bigger. 8888-ASK-LEO. I do want to mention before we get to the phones, and I know uh, Rob is hanging on. He's been hanging on for a long time. You're very patient, Rob. He says his Gmail account was hacked. What does he need to do now? Oh, you have my sympathy. Before we go on, though, speaking of hacking, I would like to mention our friends at ESET, E-S-E-T dot com, and that great program they make called Nod32. It's a great antivirus for Windows, lightweight, fast, easy to use. And now the same company, ESET, makes cybersecurity for the Mac as well. Both have very lightweight protection, so they don't slow your system down. Very sophisticated heuristics. Now, I know that's a weird word. It, it's, it's, it's one you don't see used very much, but it's simply enough. It just means that the software itself will look for virus-like activity. It's proactive. You know, normally an antivirus downloads virus definitions and then scans your drive for those. And that's Nod32 works that way, too. In fact, it's, there's nothing faster at scanning your drive. But Nod32 and ESET Cybersecurity for the Mac both will watch for virus-like activity. And that's important, especially on the Mac, because the, the Mac is prone to something called spear phishing. Viruses targeted specifically to you or your business. And uh, nothing will do a better job of preventing that than ESET Cybersecurity for the Mac. They also include in the cybersecurity product a uh, free complimentary um, educational component. Because, the, as I said many times, the best defense is knowing what not to do online. Try either one for free for 30 days. If you want to try the Windows version, go to ESET.com slash Leo. If you want to try the Mac version, go to ESET.com slash Mac. Leo for Windows, Mac for uh, Macintosh. Or you just call them, 866-935-ESET. If you use Windows or Mac, you need ESET cybersecurity. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Rob, thanks for being so patient. Hello. Hey, Hello. you're on the air. Yeah. Welcome to the show. What can I do for yeah, you? I love your show. Uh, yeah, I, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, uh, my, my Gmail account was hacked. Um, I, th- you know, I, I started getting bounce back messages for, for, for mails that I didn't send. Uh, okay, is that I your thought, evidence that it was hacked? Yeah, well, at first I just thought they were using my uh, email address to send out right. email, which I've seen that before. Oh, but sure. when I got back to my uh, computer and I checked, all the messages were in my sent. Uh, oh. And then and then I, 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 did, I read some help uh, files and I saw that you could check who had been accessing my account. And twice my account had been accessed by an ISP in Russia. Excellent. So you did so, some good detective work. Yeah. So the first thing I did then was change my Gmail password. And, and I guess my got two questions. Do I need to do more? And, you know, do you have any idea how they how they do this, how they get your password like that? Yeah, I'd like to know how they got it. The, you did the right thing. Uh, in fact, usually if this happens, you can't change the uh, password. 
because they'll also change the secondary email account. They'll change whatever they can so that you can't change the password again. So the good news is, however you were hacked, it wasn't a very successful hack. Maybe they guessed your password. I don't know. Um, Gmail's pretty good about, you know, as to how it how it uh, works. If you've forgotten your password, it's not easy to recover it. Mm-hmm. So and you can't do it. You know, Yahoo Mail and some other mail systems, you, they have the secret question technique, which is a terrible technique <laughs> because uh, you know you, people can often guess your mother's maiden name or find out your mother's maiden name. So you did the right thing. This is uh, just for people who don't know what what you should do. Uh, what Rob did is at the very bottom of your email uh, or your Gmail page on the web at gmail.com, there's this entry, last account activity, that will show an actual IP address. And then to the right of it, there's a details link. If you click that link, this is so cool that Gmail does this. It opens up a window that shows all the places that your email was accessed from. Wait a minute. Somebody accessed my email from Canada. Holy moly, I think I've got the same thing happened. Oh, my goodness. Who's accessing my email from Canada? I'm wondering if that might be uh, a phone I have or something. I'll have to check that. It's all different addresses from Canada. So this is a good thing to do. <laughs> maybe I'll be changing my password, too. Yeah, I was just wondering if maybe they you see these in the movies where you have, like, computer programs that just generate infinite passwords forever. Do, do they do that? Yeah, well, they could do that. That's called a brute force attack. If your password is a, for instance, a word in the dictionary, mm-hmm. then you're very prone to a brute force attack. They don't have to generate very many attacks. They can just go through the dictionary. Mm-hmm. A couple hundred thousand words later, you're 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 dead. Mm-hmm. So, but if you use a true random password, you're probably all right. If you're worried. And you might have good reason to be worried, and it looks like I might have good reason to be worried, too. If you're worried, uh, turn on second-factor authentication. This is something new Google does. It, it, I, I turn it on, and it was so inconvenient, I turned it back off. But it might be the, the kind of thing uh, that you want to try. Oh, I know what it is. Okay, so the Canada address, that's Backupify. I'm using a service that backs up my Gmail. Thank you, uh, Dan. <laughs> Whew. That's a relief. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I use a. I, I actually gave a backup service access to the Gmail account to back it up. But if Russia is probably not a good sign, Russia is a bad sign. Russia or China, that's a bad sign. I figured that they they were just using it to send a spam because if they were trying that's to exactly really, like, right my identity, that would have been a tip off to me. That would be the, a bad. First. You're exactly right, and and you would not have been able to regain your account in all likelihood. Uh. So if you have, now here's the other thing to worry about. If other sites are set up to send your password or reset your password to the Gmail account, these guys had access to that. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? So if you are, you have an account at Twitter and Twitter's set up to send you a password reminder to your Gmail account, they could have compromised that. So you may actually want to go through all your email addresses, all your addresses, period, and change all the passwords. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
This portion of the Tech Guy Show is brought to you by Carbonite.com. And you got to back it up to get it back, so do it right. With Carbonite, Hunter is in uh, our studio audience. They actually say hi to everybody in our studio audience. Mac and Josh, Josh Wind, uh, Windish, who is a, a producer for Wood Radio, which carries this show. It's nice to see you, Josh. Thanks for coming out here from Holland, Michigan. Talkofthetech.com. Vanessa, who's his buddy and a uh, long-suffering spouse, right? Well, that's what LSS means. We put that on the card. When they give me a card when anybody comes into the studio, and uh, LSS means you're a long-suffering spouse. Thank you for coming in. She's a student of photography. Christina Morgan's also here from uh, San Diego. It's great to have you. Nice. She said she came up just to see the cottage before we tear it down. And uh, Hunter and uh, Alex, a couple of students, Hunter's from uh, L.A., and he asked me an interesting question. He says, I have a Sprint Evo, and it reboots a lot, like in the middle of a phone call, right? Yep. So does my Nexus one, uh, Nexus S. Every once in a while, it just, boom. You're in the middle of a phone call, and boom. <laughs> yeah. I think it's an Android problem. It must be a hardware issue, hardware slash Android, because uh, if it happened to everybody, it would be a big story. So I suspect that some hardware, it either overheats, or there's something that's causing it to reboot. But that is a, I agree with you, that's kind of an issue, and uh, I think it is, it, it, it will, it does seem to happen more with Android phones than with any other kind of phone. Although, I've had, I have had a BlackBerry, somebody's mentioning a Sprint BlackBerry that did it, I have had Blackberries that, that have done it as well. If it's a brand new phone and it seems to do that more than, we'll say, once every few weeks, I'd bring it back and say there's something wrong with the hardware. Um, but I have had that happen. I have had that happen. And we are not tearing down the Twit Cottage, by the way. <laughs> I don't own it, so it wouldn't really be right to tear it down. The landlords might get a langry. But we are vacating these studios, the Tech Guy Labs, and moving to palatial uh, new digs uh, sometime this summer. We're building them right now. They're beautiful. Beautiful. And they're just two blocks away, which is another nice thing. Same street, just two blocks down. We, we actually, I think we're going to have, and, and you're all invited, the world's shortest parade. When we finally do the switchover from this studio to the new studio, there'll probably be a few things left over. So I'm just going to have everybody get one item, and I'm going to ride my three-wheel tricycle. The, uh, my CEO and business partner is going to drive the Mustang in the back, and then everybody in between will be carrying one item, and we'll just march down the street two blocks. I'm trying to get the local high school marching band. Uh, of course, we'll have to have police protection. And... <laughs> And a permit. You can't have a parade without a permit. But I think we might be able to get in the in the Guinness Book of World Records for a two-block parade. I think a two-block parade deserves, deserves I think, at least some recognition. World's shortest parade. I think it'll be fun. You know what? Maybe we'll go around the block a few times just to prolong it. <laughs> Take a left here, everybody. We, wanna, we want it to last. Johnny, <laughs> you're going to ride a scooter? Good. Your horse? Oh, we could use some horses. Every parade should have some horses. Anybody wants to bring an elephant, camel, llama? Oh, yeah. We should always have, you know, circus animals. Your long-suffering spouse has a llama? She says she's going to bring the elephant. All right. Johnny West Covina. Welcome. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Johnny. Hello, Leo. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. And uh, I am a composer, and I would like to sell my music online uh, by downloading MP3 audio files. What I'm Great. Is there, uh, is there any way that I can accompany or embed 
metadata information on the downloads so that the customers will be able to, to identify the, the title, the, the composer, and what have you. Absolutely. Uh, all MP3s have this capability. That's one of the reasons I like the MP3 file format. I mean, the chief reason you like it is because it's compact. It's about one-tenth the size of an of a uncompressed CD version of the song. And it sounds just as good, or very close to just as good. Uh, MP3s have uh, something called tagging. Uh, Windows uh, and Mac, there are great programs. On Windows, it's called MP3 Tag. It's a free program, a German program I just love. And it will do all the tagging for you. So what you do is you tag that file that they're going to download. You only have to tag it once and then just make sure they download that same file. You don't mean different. You mean your your name, your song title, your album. You don't mean a different tag for everybody who downloads it. No, it's just uh, that I'm going to be the person that uh, I will have created the file from scratch. And I want to make sure that. Yeah. So iTunes has this facility if you do the info. Um uh, but I, I would, are you on Mac or Windows? I'm on Windows, but I want okay. for anyone to be able to, to. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's just the the software that you'll be running will have to run on Windows. And this is the, the program I recommend. It's called MP3 Tag. It's free. It's from Germany. Uh, so the website is mp3tag.de. Uh, and it is fan.de, for, that's the German uh, website. It's fantastic. Uh, it makes it very easy to do because you can tag multiple files or individual files. I've used this for years to tag our podcasts. When you download a podcast of this show, uh, it has built in, and that's how the iPod and other, other programs or other uh, hardware players can see the name of the show, the artist, but also the album art. And you want to do this, by the way, not with iTunes, but with the album art. iTunes does it in a different way. So you want to use something like this instead of iTunes for album art. And it's absolutely free. mp3tag.com. Okay, now I've got one other question. Or .de, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay, there, is there any way by chance that, like when you were trying to embed something like that onto the, uh, the file, is there any way to embed something that would prevent customers to for potentially uploading back to the, the internet and sharing to the world? Aha. That's what I thought you wanted because uh, that's the next question that everybody asks. MP3 does not support copy protection. That's what you're talking about. Copy protection attaches the file to the user. I don't recommend copy protection. In fact, the music industry has, for the most part, abandoned it. You notice now when you buy songs on almost any site, there is no copy protection. You can share it. Uh, mostly because they found out it doesn't work. There is something, though, that iTunes does, Amazon does as well, that is a little more difficult for you to do, but does have some deterrent, and that is when you buy an MP3 from iTunes or Amazon, it puts your email address in the file. Not not your Johnny, the purchaser's email address in the file. Now, that's a little tricky to do. You have to have a program do that kind of automatically. It would have to tie into the download service. I I don't even think that's worth the energy, to be honest, Johnny. If you're putting your music online, you're going to have to kind of accept the fact that some people will steal it. But what you, but what I think is really important is that, and I think this is true in general, is that people will pay for artists they appreciate. They will pay for music because they don't want to steal from you. So the best way to do this, Johnny, is to create a website 
to build a fan base, a community base. Those are the people who will buy your music. And maybe they'll share it. And in fact, the way to interpret that is that's great because more people will hear about your music. Make sure you embed your website address into the song so that they, if they like it, they can go to your site. And it's my opinion that most people understand that if they don't pay for music, they won't get it in the long run. Nobody's like you, Johnny's going to give it away forever. you got to make a living. And if they love you and they love what you do, they will pay for your music. And that's all you have to worry about. Don't think of it as stealing. Think of it as advertising, says Icon in our chat room. And I think that's kind of it. You, you can't stop it, so don't even try. Okay, well, Leo, I really appreciate everything. And this is my first time calling you. And I've uh, listened to you for years and years and years. And I've also watched you on TV. So I, I appreciate your... Bless you, Johnny. Hey, do you have the website yet? I'd love to give it a plug. Oh, uh, uh, it's not completely up yet. So will you call me back when it's up and I can tell everybody that everybody should go buy Johnny's music? Okay, I'll do that. Okay. What's What kind of music is it? Oh, it's jazz and big band. Sounds great. I want to buy it. You call me back when it's up because we'd love to tell the world. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 8888-ASK-LEO, the final few minutes of the show this week. And look, lo and behold, as he does every week, here he is, the gizwiz himself, Dick T. Bartolo, Mad Magazine's maddest writer, and our gadget guru. Hey, Dick. Leo, how you doing? I am very well. Thank you for being here today, as always. I love it here. I'll be here forever. You know what? Between Saturdays, I sit in front of this camera because I think maybe it'll just, he'll accidentally just cut to me and I want to be ready. That's so sad. My friend Dennis, I I, I say, Dennis, I'm I'm hungry. Bring me. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) He feeds you soup as you sit there. He feeds feeds you soup. I can't leave the camera. What if Leo calls? Yes, exactly. Did did Leo call? That's going to be, that's going to be, now I know what can go on my tombstone. Did Leo call? Did Leo call? (laughs) Actually, Dick has been a little busy because we just wrapped up the uh, What the Heck Is It contest for the end of February and started a new one for March. Well, we did. So uh, at gizwiz.biz. And uh, I have a gadget for today. So like Leo, three years ago, I did the first little portable scale so you could weigh your luggage before you headed out to the airport. Yes, I remember. Then yeah. last year, I found the scale with the built-in flashlight. Awesome. So it was like a two-in-one. Okay. Now from the Magellan's catalog, the Balanza three-in-one luggage scale. Not the Balanza three-in-one. The three-in-one, okay, so it's a regular luggage scale. Uh, It has a web strap you put around the luggage, uh, hold the bag in the air. So you hear a little beep. When you hear the beep, uh, the weight of the luggage is now in memory. Uh, And also, you don't want to go over the limits now because not only are the airlines charging for 
every checked bags. Yeah. But a lot of money if you're over the weight limit. This one also adds a 24-hour digital timer. So if you go to the hotel and you don't want to fuss with that alarm clock, you can just hit it, wake me in seven hours, and the alarm will go off. But also around the airport, if you want to take a nap and, and you want to wake up in 45 minutes, you can have this little gadget do it for you. And this it's thing must cost a thousand dollars because this must be so expensive. I well, mean, you would expect that. This is this yes, is no, like well, does, it does I, everything. Under twenty five dollars, and it includes the batteries. Wow! Yeah, for some reason. Magellan's likes to price their things in odd ways. If I recall, is it twenty four eighty five? Twenty twenty nine eighty five. Is that the price? Twenty nine eighty five. Oh, twenty nine eighty. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. I think the one without the all the gadgets is twenty four. But it's pretty nifty, and uh, you know, take it with you so that after you buy all your gizmos and gadgets and souvenirs at the other end. But don't forget, throw out your old clothes so that you reduce the weight on the way back. This is Dick's travel advice. (laughs) He packs old underwear. Save old, save, (laughs) yes, save old clothes that you're not ashamed to wear once. Once. Old shoes. Once. So if you have old black shoes that. If you see Dick on the road and he looks a little shabby, understand this is the last time he'll be wearing that stuff anyway. Yes, yes, yes. Just say, where are you going? You can safely say, where are you going? Because <laughs> if I'm gone. looking okay, I'm on my way. I'm coming home. <laughs> so, let, but, you know, sometimes I'll leave stuff in the uh, in the trash at the hotel room, and I'm always worried that the, they're, they're not going to understand that I'm throwing yes, it out. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because once I, three days after I was home, I got a FedEx package with my old clothes laundered, pressed, <laughs> And fold it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Throw them in a public receptacle. Give them to the homeless. But don't, don't throw them, them away in a hotel room. Okay. Good, thing to, good things to learn. This is, if you're a gadget hound, these are the things you have to know. If you're, you're also should be going to gizwiz.biz. That's Dick's great site. And the new What the Heck Is It contest is a chance for you to win uh, your own autographed copy of Mad Magazine. Dick's been with Mad Magazine for 40 years. He's Mad's maddest writer. And what a great treat it is to have an autographed copy of uh, Mad from Dick. The uh, the Janu- What was the January, uh, February? Well, was- the January issue I'm going to do as this week's Gadget Warehouse Friday on the other show we do together, the, the Daily, Daily Gizwiz. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but I mean, last time, the what the heck is a contest? It's a hole puncher for CDs? What was that? That is a CD picker upper. Oh, please. It is the most ridiculous thing. As I said, I'm going to do it this coming uh, Friday uh, and and demo it because it's just stupid. That's just silly. <laughs> but the new one, well, that's obvious. It's a flying saucer. But maybe maybe that's uh, what uh, I think. Uh, you know what? Let's not get NASA and the government involved in this. You just take your chances <laughs> at what you think it is. The best guess, actually, the best guess is not necessarily the right guess. There are 12 magazines for the right guess and 24 for the cleverest wrong guess. Have yes. fun with it. Gizwiz.biz. Uh, Dick, stick around. We're going to do the Daily Gizwiz right after the radio show. So hang in there, okay? I'll be here. He's the greatest. Love my friend Dickie D. Hey, uh, before we uh, go any farther, I would like to mention my friends. It's Carbonite, right, Kyle, uh, that I should talk about right now? Yeah, Carbonite, the greatest backup ever. I'd like to talk about Carbonite on the show because 
I don't want to get those calls, and I do get them almost every week from somebody who says, oh, my hard drive died and I don't have a backup. I don't want to hear it. You know the most heartbreaking call I've gotten in a long time? My dog died a few years ago. I have the only copies of the pictures I have of the dog were on my phone. My phone died. What do I do? It's too late. You got to be backing up now. You got to prepare for the worst. The worst happens. Disasters happen to hard drives. They're not designed to live forever, my friends. And if you're not backing up now, you will regret it. And what's the best way to back up? Well, I can give you a couple of things. First of all, it should be automatic because you shouldn't have to remember it. Secondly, I would suggest not an on-site backup. You know, it's fine to, and I do this, back up to a USB key or a CD or an external drive that's sitting right next to the computer. It's very convenient. But what if the worst happens? What if there's a fire, a flood, an earthquake, a tornado? Somebody comes and steals all your stuff. You've lost the originals and the backup. You've got to have a backup that's somewhere else. That's what Carbonite does so well. Go try it right now. Carbonite.com slash, actually, uh, just Carbonite.com. Use the offer code LEO for two weeks free. Mac or PC, Mac or PC, and then it'll start backing up as soon as you install it, and it backs up to the internet. It's encrypted, so nobody can see it. You can actually add additional encryption, so it's completely private. And now it's safe. And anywhere you go, you can even test it. Before the worst happens, you just go to another computer, log into your Carbonite account. Is my stuff there? Yes, it is! It's kind of, it's online access everywhere you go. There's even a free Apple or iPhone, uh, Apple iPhone or a BlackBerry app you can use. Carbonite.com. Now, if you decide you like it, $55 a year, PC or Mac, for all the personal data on your internal drive. Unlimited backup. And if you mention my name, Leo, when you buy, they'll extend your one-year subscription for an additional two months. 14 months for the price of 12. Now, that's a good deal. Carbonite.com. Use the offer code Leo. I know you're going to love it. Oh, let's see. Time is running out. Tammy in Los Angeles, thank you for your patience. Welcome, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, how are you? Great, Tammy. Welcome to the show. What can I do for you? Well, I've been listening a long time, and most of the time, you are right over my head, so I don't understand it, but... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you could, you could hear the rocket going over. <laughs> yes. Um, I have a one question for you, and I'm trying to change the uh, provider, the email from... Can I mention the name? Of course. Uh, from AT&T to Extreme DSL. Now, okay. in an AT&T folder, it's provided by Yahoo, but I don't have a Yahoo.com address. I have a, what they gave me a long time ago was SBCGlobal.net. Right, and they have, and you've created over time lots of different folders to organize your email. How do I get that over to Gmail? Because <laughs> the other ones that in a hard drive in a computer has been backed up by your carbonite because see i yeah oh you're good tammy well you could get something like uh you could download the yahoo mail and get all the um folders onto your computer um automatically but i'm trying to think of how you get those folders over to gmail chat room you got any suggestions because because i don't know i mean i know you can get them on your computer you use something like free like a thunderbird to download it, all those folders will be duplicated. But then, how do you get them to Gmail? You can have... Okay, here's what you could do. You could have Gmail... Let's see. Gmail has a transfer option. So you could have Gmail mm-hmm. import your Yahoo Mail. Yeah, but don't or, me do that because of... Uh, you don't have a login. No, SBCGlobal.net, 
they don't recognize it as a Yahoo.com. Got it. Got it. <laughs> so I'm stuck. I mean, I think you're stuck. I think you have to ask SBC if there's some way that you can make that be a Yahoo account first. Okay, that that I was thinking about. Okay, that's I'll- what I would try. I'm out of time, Tammy, but thank you. Le- call me next week. Maybe we can talk more about it. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.